0: Welcome to Max Politics. This is Ben Max from Gotham Gazette, a publication of Citizens Union Foundation. Thanks very much for tuning in here for the show. It's a special debate breakdown show. We're speaking here on the evening of Tuesday, October 25th, 2022, just a short time after what is expected to be the lone debate in the race for New York governor between Republican Congressman Lee Zeldin and Democratic Governor Kathy Hochul. And it's two weeks from Election Day, November 8th. Polls in recent weeks have shown varying margins for Hochul, but it's apparent that while she remains a favorite in the race in a state where no Republican has won statewide since 2002, Zeldin has closed the gap at least somewhat and is within some striking distance to potentially pull off an immense upset. As expected, the debate was a spirited exchange with a number of attacks flying back and forth and very apparent differences between the two candidates who are offering vastly different visions for the future of New York and their stances on a number of issues and challenges facing the state and its people. The debate, hosted by Spectrum News and moderated by the excellent Errol Lewis and Susan Arbetter, saw the candidates weigh in on issues running from the economy and jobs and inflation to abortion rights, crime, public safety, downstate casinos, the Buffalo Bills stadium deal. Uh, Zeldin's past election denialism, Hochul's allegations of pay-to-play and much more. Uh, really, they covered quite a lot in just over an hour. So, joining me now to break it all down are two of my favorite political analysts. Dr. Christina Greer is a political science professor at Fordham University and co host of the FAQ NYC podcast. Casey Seiler is the editor of the Times Union of Albany, where he was previously managing editor and Capital Bureau chief. Full disclosure here, Casey's editorial board at the Times Union has endorsed Hochul in this election. Maybe we'll get to a little bit of that later, but nevertheless, Casey offers precise and when necessary, uh, cutting analysis of New York politics and politicians. And if we're talking about that type of analysis, we have a great tag team here uh, to get together to discuss this debate. Thank you both for being here. Appreciate it. How are you? Pleasure. Good to
1: have us.
0: Um so let's let's get right to uh the any moments that stood out to you or any big sort of takeaways we'll get into a bunch of the specifics the two candidates really showed their very different ideologies and very different records and visions and all that so we'll get into a lot of that but just in terms of any big moments that stood out or themes that stood out Christina what uh what what you've been chewing on since the the debate ended
2: Yeah well I mean You know, most people don't tune into debates to Get their minds changed. They they usually have a team that they're on, and you know it's either to solidify that. So you just hope that your candidate doesn't make any major gaffes. But I thought was really interesting, though, is you know the frenetic energy of Lee Zeldin was really something that was unsettling up until basically about eight fifty or seven fifty. You know, the vast majority of the debate, he was essentially trying to squeeze in three or four debates in one hour, and because of that, it came across as someone who ate a bag of sugar before going on stage, and it didn't really seem gubernatorial. So, you know, obviously a lot of people are going to love the fact that he stands with Trump. They they love the fact that he's he vacillates a little bit on Roe and, you know, says, oh, well, it's basically Carl Easton's not going to let me do it. So, Let's just move on to the next question. Um, You know, I don't want to talk about January 6th or overthrowing the election because that's the past. Let's just look to the future, but never really answered the question that was point blank about what would you do moving forward? Since we do know uh, that we have so many election deniers that will most likely get into office in 2022 and set the stage for 2024. So I think, you know, honestly, I needed to just drink a few glasses of water after watching the debate to bring my blood pressure down
1: because Lee Zelda was so frenetic. Mm, Casey? He he did seem yes I I wrote caffeinated uh, <laughs> perhaps excessively caffeinated he seemed at times Andrew Giuliani esque you know with yeah. that that very kind of you know plunging way that the the younger Giuliani had of of going at at his points um, but he he did he did calm down somewhat I was struck by the fact that on the issue of crime which was the lead off issue. The first two questions that that he was asked, which was to answer, um, you know, DCJS data um, that does not show uh, a strong causation between bail reform, criminal justice reform, uh, you know, the the changes that were put in place in 2019 and any any sort of spike in crime. He was asked about it. He did not give an answer. He just, you know, sort of repeated a a lot of kind of rhetoric and talking points, but did not. He offered an emotional rather than sort of a a data driven response to that. I thought he gave a a much better answer. um, In fact, when he was talking to the Times Union's um, editorial board. But of course, there he wasn't working with a time limit. Same thing on the follow up question on Manhattan District Attorney Alvin Bragg, and he was asked, "What are the bill? What's the bill of particulars that you will present in order to bounce him from office?" As he says, you know, beginning the process on day one, he really didn't give a kind of uh, a, a, a bill of, of uh, dereliction of duty that um, that um, uh, you know the, the district attorney has, a, has allegedly uh, done or failed to do. Um, once again, you just got rhetoric, you got kind of anecdotal, you know, cases where he disagreed with Bragg, but that's very different from kind of making a case that's going to stand up in court that will allow him to uh, the governor to bounce him from office. Yeah,
0: that that promise to uh, remove the Manhattan District Attorney, uh, you know, seems to have been sort of a, a somewhat manufactured talking point from the campaign from you know, this sort of day one memo that Bragg's office issued that he's since adjusted somewhat and he's, you know, done some uh, a media tour around what his policies actually are. And it was very interesting during the debate, a tweet from the Manhattan D.A. account saying Manhattan facts year to date, murders in Manhattan down 24 percent, shootings in Manhattan down 18 percent and gun prosecutions in Manhattan up 18 percent. So Alvin Bragg sort of responding in in real time to the discussion and the debate uh, about his tenure so far. Um, I, I thought the discussion on crime and public safety was really interesting because, again, Zeldin was was hitting home the messages of his campaign. The laws out of Albany have been broken. There's not a lot of you know data, as you say, Casey, to support that. But, you know, really talking about how there have been increases in crime during the pandemic. There is, you know, an increased sense of fear among many people, especially, you know, commuters on the subways with random attacks and and uh, a spike in murder in the New York City subways over the last couple of years. Um But then Hochul parrying that with saying, here's a variety of things I've been doing. And how can you talk about public safety when you're against basically all forms of gun control? I thought that was a really interesting back and forth that went around a few times, maybe unnecessarily. But what did you make of those exchanges, uh, Christina?
2: Yeah, you laid it out really well, Ben. I mean, I thought that Hochul laid quite a few sand traps that Zeldin consistently walked in. We knew that, you know, his... Uh, main talking point would be crime, 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 and essentially the fear baiting that Republicans are doing across the country in almost all the races that they're running. Crime is up, Democrats are in control. You know, there's this fear that people are going to come into your homes. He, you know, had this alleged incident where his kids were home, uh, where there was a, a gun that was, you know, involved uh, outside of his home. But I, I think it was really great that uh, and interesting how the governor laid out. All of the issues that you have, Lee Zeldin, are largely due to either votes that you skipped in Washington, D.C., or votes that you voted against. You are you are the reason why we don't have progress. I thought it was interesting how she linked it to larger shootings in other other states, but also bring it back home to Buffalo as well. I think, you know, she also did say crime is real. And, you know, the fear that people have is real, which I think is trying to get at this larger conversation that Republicans are pushing forward, which is Democrats don't care that crime is is up. Democrats don't care that you're scared. I think she was trying to sort of do two things at once, validating the fact that people do have real concerns and, and real fears, whether they're riding the subway or, you know, walking through their neighborhoods, but also saying, like, let's all keep it in perspective. One, it's not egregious. And two, we are actually working on things, despite the fact that we have Republicans who are actively working against us as we're trying to figure this out.
0: Casey, what would you think of that repeated line about Zeldin either missing votes or taking votes that Hochul argued, you know, are not in the interest of sort of the goals that he lays out, whether it's public safety in relation to um, gun control or things related to economic development and and votes against, you know, some of the legislation that's come through Congress? Again, a lot of that, some of that's been uh, party line votes, but there was an interesting point, at least I thought maybe the most salient point she made on some of that was Noting that he didn't even support a bipartisan sort of gun safety reform that isn't even so much about, you know, it's not an assault weapons ban. It's not those types of gun control, but a lot more related to sort of red flag law type activity. Mm -hmm.
1: I, I thought it was effective when it came to federal gun legislation. I thought it was less effective when she tried to pull the rug out from under him on infrastructure spending, because it's true that recently he, you know, voted voted against the the bipartisan infrastructure bill. But uh, I, I think he was able to rebut the claim on uh, the sort of more more uh, the funds that hit Long Island's roads more recently, Mm -hmm. which he made the, I think, a cogent argument that those. Those dollars really stemmed from the 2015 legislation that was that was passed. I think yeah. everybody would pretty much understand that the infrastructure funding that was was just voted on isn't gonna isn't gonna hit you know your neighborhood mm-hmm, mm-hmm. your neighborhood highway for quite a quite a quite a bit of time. So um, I I I would say that was successful on guns, not so successful on infrastructure. But yeah. I thought she did a a very good job. Um, uh, trying to tie him to Trump, another kind of nationalization of the race, uh, which she was able to do a number of times. And I I thought his response, especially on when they were doing the kind of cross-examination and her first question was, do you think Donald Trump was a great president? And that left him really tap dancing hard to talk about Uh, You know, legislative accomplishments 2017 through, you know, the end of 2020. But he never really um, answered that question. I, I thought I kind of thought his
0: response on that was actually pretty effective. Right. I mean, he 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 had a fairly long list of things that he at least considers were accomplishments that they worked on together again up to voters to actually like the list he laid out you know uh things related to the Iran nuclear deal and his uh, relationship with Israel and, and all sorts of things that he listed but he had a long list of things that he was at least getting very specific about like hey we work together on all these things and i thought that was a, a pretty effective response in terms of undercutting her overall question which was sort of trying to bait him into take a stance on trump i'm still not quite sure i mean i i I understand why Republicans don't want to cross Donald Trump, but I'm a little unsure why Zeldin still can't, you know, sort of bring himself to to a message that might appeal to some of the sort of moderate and swing voters who are the ones that, you know, this election is really about other than the candidates juicing up their bases, which is also extremely important. But, um, you know, to, to sort of Give a little, right? Give a little on here's here's a couple of things I really didn't like about Trump, but here's some things we did together. He doesn't do any of that. I mean, he is seemingly really trying to stay in the former president's good graces. Um, Hochul, as expected, hammered away on Trump. She hammered away on Trump and election denialism, abortion rights and gun control. Was there anything else that we heard from her, that you heard from her, Christina, that you thought um was sort of effective in her differentiating herself from Zeldin? And then we can come the other way around and and uh reflect on any ways in which he really seemed to land some, you know, blows.
2: Yeah. And and just really quickly to to wrap up your last point, I think Please. you know the reason why we don't really see Candidates like Zeldin trying to straddle a a Trump, you know, even throwing in a slight critique is that does not work for Donald Trump. You know, you have to perform for an audience of one. And they know that that wrath and that ire will be real, even if you provide a slight critique. So either you're in, you're in for a penny or you're in for a pound. Right. And I think he realizes he's got to be in fully. I, I think Kathy Hochul first, her tone was such that she presented herself. I am the governor and this is someone who who seems like an overzealous child in in a lot of instances when he was uh, trying to cut her off and things like that. Uh, I I do think that you know when she spoke to voters, trying to remind New Yorkers, essentially saying, "I'm I'm the leader. I have been the leader. Like listen to what he is saying and sort of what he is not saying." I thought was pretty effective, and and I think Zeldin did it a few times as well, and to to great effect. Um, you know when when she was laying out. Um, Obviously, guns quite a bit and a woman's right to choose. It really did annoy me, though, that, you know, Democrats do this all the time. They fall into Republican talking points as their own. So the use of the term pro-life uh, is so frustrating to me because these are the same people who don't believe in gun Control. They believe in the death penalty. They'll starve, you know, children in schools, and not provide a social safety net. So it really should have been a very concise listing of the anti-choice ways that Lee Zeldin is is presenting legislation and not working with uh, members across the aisle. I do think also um, I wish that that Hochul would have hammered home a little bit more about fracking and Lee Zeldin saying that he believes in voter ID laws. We do know that that suppresses the vote in a state where we have abysmal participation and turnout. You know, he kept saying that New Yorkers were leaving, but it's because the Republican Party did not help With the administration of the census, we don't we have a lower count, but we know that New Yorkers by and large, there's still quite a few New Yorkers uh, that were undercounted and not counted at all. And that's largely due to Republican fear tactics where a lot of people didn't fill out the census uh, because of uh, they feared the repercussions due to the Trump administration and politicians like Zeldin. So I thought that there are a few connections that I wish she would have made and a few specific words uh, that she should have and could have used that would really differentiate sort of the Democratic big D democratic ideals that she possesses versus Lou
0: Zeldin's. Hmm. Casey, jump in on that or anything else. And, you know, I thought at at least in terms of ways in which Zeldin sort of presented a contrast um, fairly well, um, you know, some of the questions that he raised around things like uh, the Buffalo Bill stadium deal around, um, you know, sort of the connection of pay to play culture. It's obviously very easy for someone who's not the governor to criticize a governor for raising lots of money from people with state business. I mean, that is, you know, that is problematic. Um, but, uh, you know, I thought he had a a couple of good points uh, on that. And I also thought, and I'm not quite sure why he didn't do this a little bit more, but, you know, he, he raised, her questionable decision to appoint Brian Benjamin as her first lieutenant governor when he was under a cloud of scandal at the time that came back to bite him. He made a couple of connections to her being lieutenant governor under Andrew Cuomo, who had all sorts of scandals, but didn't really hit that home that much. Some, jump in. Jump in. Someone who is not
1: mentioned, I don't think his he was even named once the, despite the fact that Zeldin, of course, brought up the the, the nursing home scandal and the state's um, management of, of COVID. I think that that is a, a sign of how Hochul really since before she became governor and the you know the weeks leading up to Andrew Cuomo's resignation was able to say look he, that guy and I did not have a very good relationship we he really kind of froze me out of of uh of the you know the running of the administration all of which is true and so I think that really uh, it, it took Andrew Cuomo away as as pretty much a cudgel that Zeldin could could use against Hochul. If you were if you were Andrew Cuomo watching this, you know, in at your sister's house or wherever you're if you're staying, <laughs> you were probably a little bit brokenhearted to see that you weren't mentioned at all in this um in this debate after you've been governor for a, a decade. Um uh and I I thought that um I thought that Zeldin was very effective in uh, hammering her over the bills deal. I'm not sure how it will play among uh, Western New York voters who uh, many of whom are, are probably psyched. Uh, I think that perhaps the most questionable thing that Selden said was that he was just at the stadium and it's a great place to watch a football game. Having been at that stadium, (laughs) fine, but um, Mm. a a new stadium is, is definitely needed if you're going to keep a pro sports team there. I think that that's, um, That is a line that will probably it might play well uh, on Long Island, um, but uh, but uh, in upstate New York, I I don't think that's it's going to play very well. I thought that Hochul was able to to rebut it. And I think that she does have the more cogent argument that the bills were, you know, ready to uh, ready to leave. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I
0: mean, it, you know, it, it 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 at least landed decently with me when Zeldin scoffed at that and said they they weren't going to go anywhere. You know, I was kind of like, you know, I'm not sure that we had a lot of evidence they were really going to up and go, but but maybe. Um, uh, but well, okay.
2: <laughs> I I think though, you know, because we've just seen the Raiders become the Los the Las Vegas Raiders, right, there is right. this conversation that you know I don't think a lot of people ever thought that the Oakland Raiders would necessarily leave, and so. It is Buffalo. And so it is isn't a large market and it is probable and possible. So Mm -hmm. I I do think that that's great. But to Casey's point really quickly, I mean, I bring this up with journalists all the time. You know, I, I do think it's fascinating that Andrew Cuomo was hardly a blip at all, not even the spirit of Andrew Cuomo was there. But we also have to remember the lieutenant governor and governor relationships, especially for Democrats these past few years, You know, don't forget when David Patterson had to take over, he was like, I literally have no idea what's going on. Right. <laughs> right? It's, and I'm not playing, I, I have no idea. Hey. Yeah. Um, I've I've been to no meetings. We don't talk. And if you remember Ben, you know we talked about the chuckled about this on our podcast. But you know, just a week before Kathy Hochul took over as governor, she was you know cutting a ribbon at a Quiznos in the middle of nowhere. Mm-hmm. So I mean, it's not like she was at the table doing you know deep policy. So it's I, I think. Zeldin was smart to not try to link her too, too much to Cuomo because she could easily say, you know, I'm walking you through all these things. I think everybody knew I was not with Andrew Cuomo. And now now you're living in the past when you keep saying that you want to move forward
0: in the future. I am fairly sympathetic to the argument of, yes, we know he froze you out. And we know that you weren't really involved, but then you also weren't really doing much of anything except where he was sending you to cut those ribbons and things like that. And and that, you know, that sort of gets at it gets at the issue of the role of lieutenant governor, of course, but it gets at, you know, sort of like an issue of weakness and leadership. Right. And where was your voice? When this governor was amidst scandal, you know, she didn't speak up. She says it was because she could be the one taking over. If you resign, that's, you know, uh, I don't know how plausible of an explanation, but, you know, I think there's there's some stuff that could have could have been used more in that realm. At the same time though, we also don't know what these candidates see in terms of polling, in terms of what some of the sort of moderate and and suburban voters who are often Andrew Cuomo friendly might still think of the of the former governor. Casey, one thing I wanted to ask you is we get this one debate. One hour and change. I'm glad they went a little over. They could have kept going as far as I'm concerned. Um, You know, I've said a number of times in different venues, you know, I think this is unfortunate that we're just getting this one debate. At least we got the one. I'm wondering from where you sit, you know, how well did this debate address, you know, quote unquote, upstate issues, issues that are not sort of. Super New York City and the suburb, uh, you know, focused. Did you hear much that resonates? Are there are a lot of these universal issues? Was it really, you know, a good chance for voters everywhere to sort of see the candidate styles and where they stand on these very big issues? Would you make a sort of that question and, and who this debate was kind of for?
1: I mean, I, you know, I live in Albany, and Albany, like Rochester or Buffalo, is a, a city that has dealt with um, actually crime rates that are, you know, violent crime rates that are going up higher than the crime rates in New York City. As the governor has has mentioned, she has noted that while um, uh, crime rates, if you look at them over recent years in the city, especially for violent crime, um, you know, upstate cities have have in many cases have uh, a bigger problem to deal with that that's a universal, you know, everybody, everybody is concerned about crime without a doubt. Um, uh, I, uh, you know, she talked about Governor Hogle talked about the Micron deal, which is um, a very significant, probably with the exception of, um, you know, the global foundries plant uh, is probably the biggest development in terms of high tech industries in upstate in quite a while, or I guess I I should say the Buffalo billion as well, although that's a little bit more of a fraught, you know, Mm -hmm. uh, development, uh, scheme, I guess you could say. Um, but, uh, yeah, I'm trying to think of an upstate issue that, uh, you know, fracking in the Southern tier. Fracking is, that is, that's such a, that is really an issue from, Almost a decade ago, and I, I really, I'm not sure that that is the wedge issue that Lee Zeldin seems to think it is. Mm-hmm. It might make a difference among certain communities in in the southern tier, but. Um, I I just don't think that's I I think that's about as as winning a line as, you know, universal voter I.D. Um, It's 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 Mm -hmm. Republican New York Republican orthodoxy, but I don't necessarily think it's going to be in a a race that is really coming down to moderates. I'm not sure that's that's an issue that's really going to turn that many voters. Mm.
0: You know, speaking of the universal issues. One of the things that's driven me a bit crazy, and again, I've noted in a number of different, you know, formats is, you know, Lee Zeldin has his sort of his the big planks of his platform, but he's provided no detail of them. And I know this has been noted by editorial boards and many others, which is fine in a debate to say, you know, we got to we're going to cut taxes and cut spending, but he's you know even for those of us who sort of would obsess over these things or cover them in you know publications to inform more people about them he's provided no details on that and i think it was fairly telling for the discerning listener on a number of issues he didn't really provide, you know, much by way of detail. Again, he hasn't been the governor. He doesn't have the tenure even of a year plus that Hochul has to have put some stuff in place that she could talk about. She hasn't outlined that much for a further vision either, but she at least has all these things that she's gotten motion that she could speak to specifically. He was talking in big, broad strokes and not, you know, doesn't have the sort of specifics to support.
1: Um, So, you know, I'm sure a lot of voters are happy to hear tax cuts but yeah go ahead that was especially glaring when the debate turned to housing uh, the you know de- the development of affordable housing where it really i mean hochul has got you know the the past several years of attempting to come up with an administrative you know scheme to to do something with this a lot of that kind of drafting off of off of Cuomo who tried to address this issue as well and Zeldin's Zeldin's proposal, which is really let's get rid of all these onerous regulations, that it it seemed uh, undercooked. Yeah.
2: Well, and there were a few times, Ben and Casey, that Errol asked him specifically, "What is your plan?" And he said, "You know, I'm I'm, I'm getting to that," and then went in a totally different direction. And and. Went rested on talking points and dare I say fear mongering, but never circled back to what is the plan. And I know that you know there's strict time limits, but I would have loved if the moderators would have said, No, just give us three bullet points or two bullet points, one bullet point. What is your plan for housing or what is your plan to decrease guns? That was the one that he just could not or would not answer. How do you plan on decreasing crime? We get it. Crime is rising. We're nowhere near 70s, the 1970s and 1980s. But whether it's the fear of crime, the perception of crime, the reality of crime, all three can be true at the same time. What is your plan? He never had an answer for that. And there are a few times that Kathy Holkle said I was l- I was li- listening for an answer. I didn't really hear something. And she went into her plan. But I really wished uh you know, Zeldin would have been forced to say something.
0: Yeah. And I mean, I you know, I, I in my in the preview of the debate, I wrote, you know, I, I thought it would have been interesting. This debate, especially at just one hour, was not going to be able to get into all sorts of details. But I thought it, I thought it would have been interesting, especially since this is basically the dominant issue of of the debate at where, where they started and and, you know, the election to a degree. There's obviously several other issues that we've talked about here. Uh, reproductive rights, economy, inflation uh, and more. But. You know, murders and shootings are trending down this year, but other crimes, other major felonies have continued to go up. And it would be very interesting to hear these gubernatorial candidates try to explain why they think that's happening. And if there's perhaps, you know, more holistic ways to be thinking about crime and crime prevention. Um, but we but we didn't get quite get into that. Yeah, and- uh, we're in our- Oh, let Sorry, me, really quickly, real quick. We're in our last couple minutes here with Dr. Christina Greer and Casey Seiler. Go ahead, Christina.
2: I just wanted to, you know, something you said earlier about real time and, and seeing uh, the Manhattan D.A.'s office sort of tweeting real time about. Uh, crime going down and prosecutions going up. I thought it was also interesting when Lee Zeldin said, you know, he's on the on the subway with some members of the press and they smelled marijuana and making this larger argument, you know, that a lot of people marijuana is a gateway drug. And, you know, here we are. It, it is a signal of a dangerous city. Um, and my my FAQ co-host Katie Honan tweeted in real time, you know, I was part of the press crew that was with him. And we actually did not smell any marijuana. So hmm. maybe he smelled it on his walk from 29th Street to 34th. I don't know. But, you know, this this narrative that Zeldin has about this dangerous city with marijuana smokers in front of your children. Um, when a member of the press corps says, I was actually right there with you and none of us smelled it. smelled it at all.
0: I also thought he was saying that in response to sort of saying that he's not particularly supportive of legalizing marijuana, which we're on the path to do. And I thought Hochul's response was one of her strongest moments, which was like, wait, as you just said, it's already happening. Don't we want to legalize it, tax it, have it be, you know, on the up and up? You know, I thought that was a pretty good moment for her. And Um, also give people who were formerly incarcerated a a lifeline and and an
2: economic means to actually make money a legal way uh, to sort of keep the trending uh, crime rate down.
0: mm -hmm. Let me say quickly, because we're going to run out of time here, um, the. Uh, a few other issues that came up. They really got to a lot, but um, Zeldin expressed some openness to slowing down the process of opening downstate casinos. I'm not sure if he was sort of led into that by a very good formulated question. Uh, Hochul said full speed ahead on the casinos because she is overseeing that process. Um, He expressed opposition to overdose prevention centers, safe injection sites. There's two in New York City. She said she's sort of with her health commissioner, Dr. Mary Bassett, the former city health commissioner who is supportive of those, but she still wants to look at it further before she supports expansion. Um, She said she is looking at maybe open to a COVID vaccination mandate for school children. He said he's opposed to all uh, COVID vaccination mandates, didn't explain why, Um, uh, continues to sort of not explain why when his campaign put out a statement on that. I asked them, can you explain why Congressman Zeldin has this position? They didn't respond to me. Um, And a few other things, but one thing I also wanted to note, was this maybe the, the only moment of agreement in the debate that both candidates said they were supportive of raising the cap on charter schools in New York City. I thought that was very interesting because I don't know if, of Hochul taking that position before. I thought that was that was kind of interesting mm-hmm. as we round things out here. Casey, a couple couple other thoughts. Go ahead. Whatever's on your mind here that we haven't gotten to or something I just said or something else.
1: I thought it, I thought it was very interesting that a couple of times that Lee Zeldin made reference to the legislature. He only talked about Carl Hasty. He never talked about Andrew Stewart Cousins. Now, <clears throat> That might be because um, he is hoping that Republicans will do fantastically well at, you know, at the at the polls next month. And they might come within striking distance of, you know, retaking the state Senate. But it did seem it did seem a little a little tone deaf, not to say Carl Hasty and Andrea Mm -hmm. Stewart-Cousins. And I I don't know, maybe that's just me. I I, I noticed the same thing. I noticed it, too.
2: But, you know, Casey, I think this leads into my point, which is about gender. And I think we have to recognize that, you know, some of the slippage in the poll is because there are going to be some people, men and women, who will never vote for a woman at the top of the ticket. I think Kathy Hochul is aware of that. And I think that's why some of these polls are tightening. Uh, But I, I am curious to see how women viewed Zeldin's performance today. I thought it was in many ways condescending. Uh, And his tone toward a sitting governor uh, was something that I'm always curious, you know, I'll ask my students uh, when we discuss it in class, uh, what they heard. I mean, they're a little more attuned to some of these gender dynamics sometimes than some of some of the older viewers. um, And I'm, I'm really curious to see what they picked up on with his behavior.
1: If I could, if I could just I was one of the moderators of the um, the WNBC uh, primary Democratic primary debate. And I thought that Tom Swasey's one of his worst moments was when he was he was addressing the governor and he was like, governor, you want to look at me, governor, Mm -hmm. governor, governor, governor. And he seemed so much like Rick Lazio in his famous, uh, I believe, was 2000 race against Hillary Clinton, mm-hmm. when he was doing the sign it, sign it, sign it, and I forget who it was, but um, some uh, either columnist or commentator noted that at that moment, uh, you know, so many women in New York were reminded of their ex husbands, <laughs> and, and yeah. you yeah. know, luckily he, uh, uh, I, I think Zeldin managed to avoid that trap com- completely.
2: What? Well, yeah, I think you know, for him, he avoided the the sort of <laughs> bullying swazi trap uh his i thought his tone was condescending at times sadly he for him he came across more of uh the impetulant child that kathy Hochul didn't have to scold i think she she sort of learned from hillary clinton not to do that uh but there is definitely a i i thought a leadership void between the two of them uh and one person who looked like she could and is steering a ship and another who's like daddy let me hold the let me hold the wheel um yeah. and his his eagerness was was oftentimes too much. Uh,
1: there was yeah, I, one moment when, when, um, she was speaking and she, and he tried to interrupt her and she said, I'm uh, something to the effect of, I'm sorry, I'm speaking. And he was like, okay. And no, I, you know, I was just going to raise that because I yeah, twice. I have a
0: feeling that going in, one of the things that he was sort of prepared on was don't, don't be interrupting, right. Don't try to dominate, um, you know, your female opponent, the first woman to be the governor of New York, don't come across this way. But I don't think he could help himself on all of what you were getting at, you know, Christina, with all the sort of like, I mean, he was just going way too fast. I mean, I was saying, like, I'm I'm well-versed in a lot of this stuff and I'm having trouble processing how quickly he's going. I can't imagine, you know, any sort of average voters out there trying to, trying to take it all in. He was just going way too fast from a presentation standpoint and also not looking sort of calm and collected. And she, you know, she was, she was the opposite. Um, all right. Parting thoughts, anything we haven't gotten to here, anything in terms of the impact of this debate? It seems like no viral moments necessarily. I mean, the campaigns will try to turn some of the moments into something interesting. You know, Hochul had a really good line, you know, about Zeldin being an election denier, a climate denier and a COVID denier. They might try to turn that into an online moment, but, you know, there weren't any big gaffes. I don't know that there were any particular back and forth that will come out of this, you know, and really be knocking around the the internet, so to speak. Um, any potential impact here? Any final thoughts, Casey?
1: I I think that in the sense that Zeldin really needed to deliver a knockout blow, at least one if not several, and I I don't think he really got it. I think you we will hear his campaign trying to capitalize on Hochul not ruling out um, uh, you know a COVID vaccination mandate for for young kids. Um, I think. I think she would probably claim, look, that's the measured response. I don't know what what's going to happen a year ago. We didn't know that uh, that Omicron was coming, but I think that Zeldin will use that to to make the case that uh, you just wait, she's gonna take uh, she's going take that um, that right, that imperative away from parents. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Interesting.
2: Yeah, I mean, and don't forget Zeldin wrapped in police officers and sort of heroes into that whole debate as well. I mean, I, I do think though, tying it into social media, Ben, when I was watching the debate, I was also checking Twitter, Kathy Hochul was trending, but it definitely was clear that Republicans uh, were already putting out their messaging that Lee Zeldin is dominating this debate, Lee Zeldin is winning this debate. And so we've seen this time time again, Republicans just repeat something over and over again, even if it's factually untrue, uh, and just to make it a fact for themselves. So it, I'll be interested to see what they choose of Lee, Lee Zeldin from this evening to say he definitely won this debate and here are all the reasons why. And I, I don't know a single person besides you two and, and my podcast co-hosts who are actually watching the debate this evening. I you know called a few friends and texted some people just to gauge their interest uh, and they plan on voting, but none of them planned on watching this evening. So I'm curious to see how many
0: people actually even tuned in. Right. I mean, I think I think most people will probably catch some highlights of it, the written recaps of it in newspapers and, you know, around, around the state and so forth. And I think on that front, again, there were no major moments probably that, you know, will lead all the reporting. So it will be a rundown of the ways that they offer different visions and they have different stances on a lot of the stuff that we've been discussing. And that's pretty much where the race has been. So, you know, again, if there's people still making up their minds in some of these, you know, potential purple areas of the state, the suburbs, and, and perhaps others or people trying to decide whether they're going to vote at all. And they see some of this, you know, again, it's, it's probably going to come down to a lot of sort of what issue, you know, what issue matters to people. And, and the turnout of the base is going to wind up being, you know, about as important as anything else. We shall see. All right. Um, Dr. Christina Greer, political science professor at Fordham University and co-host of the FAQ NYC podcast, among many other things that you do. I just, I I picked the two, the two big ones for me. Um, Thank you for joining me, Casey Seiler, editor of the Times Union of Albany. Thank you very much for joining me. Appreciate both of your time this evening. Absolutely. Thanks, Ben. Thanks, Ben. That was great. (laughs)